Well, whether you grew up in a Christian home, spiritual home, religious home, or you didn't grow up in a religious home, uh, every family seems to have a set of rules, uh, a set of things that sometimes even these get hung on the refrigerator, uh, things that facilitate communication. Some of these are universal things that everybody just kind of knows. We can practice uh, a couple of these together. Uh, A happy wife means a... So cheesy, man. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's also the one, uh, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? There's a few moms uh, glaring down the row as you said that one. Uh, there's never any of these about dads. You ever notice that? <laughs> there's never any, you know, uh, you know, dad's the best, unless he's stressed, you know? <laughs> there's never any of those. Uh, never makes the fridge. It's always about the mom, uh, which is good, which is a good thing. Uh, but every family develops these rules. You probably grew up in a house where there were some sayings that facilitated communication. Sometimes these, can, uh, these family rules are not spoken out loud, and sometimes these can uh, facilitate dysfunction. And some of us, you look back, and there were some rules in place, and nobody put this on the T-shirt, nobody hung this on the fridge, but some of us grew up in homes uh, where there was a rule that when uh, there was friction or there was conflict, you wouldn't talk uh, to each other, you would talk about each other. And nobody put that on the fridge. Uh, your mom didn't you know, tell you that repeatedly, but it was just a rule. It was just this family rule that was there. Uh, and, it, and it just facilitated, you look back, it facilitates so much dysfunction or so much pain. Uh, some of us grew up in homes where uh, there's a rule or there was a rule that uh, if somebody did something to hurt somebody else or there was some event that was traumatic uh, and there was a rule that if you ignore it long enough, it'll eventually just go away. Uh, and it didn't happen, and, and nobody hung that on the fridge, it was, but it was just this rule that was there, and everybody you know, just acted like it didn't happen because uh, it, it was just this rule. You ignore it long enough, it'll eventually go away. And, and the good news today is that Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, this series that we've been in for the last 10 weeks as a church, uh, is gonna give us some rules. And so if you don't have any family rules, it's a, it's a great time to be here because he's gonna give us some rules, some family rules, uh, in the book of Proverbs Uh, to begin to help us uh, facilitate communication and and marriage and love and marriage and war and marriage and all that. Uh, But he's gonna give us uh, some rules today. And uh, if you have a Bible, open it with me to the book of Genesis is where we are going uh, to begin. Genesis chapter two is where we're going to start. Uh, And before we get going, we're gonna work our way to the book of Proverbs, but before we get going, uh, we don't talk about marriage Uh, And I know I've said this before, but it's worth repeating in such a way that uh, if you're single, you're an incomplete person. Uh, Sometimes that gets handed down in church. And uh, I meet people every week that that are single that come to this church and they say, I'm so tired of being set up. (laughs) I'm so tired of, uh," and I remember when I was single and I would come to church and there would be like the dad in the minivan with three kids, you know, who looked like he hadn't slept in six weeks. uh, You know, saying, I'd love to set you up with someone. It's like, "Uh, I think I'm good. (laughs) Um, at the same time, uh, we don't talk about parenting or raising your kids in such a way that if you do all these things, uh, your kids are going to turn out perfect. That's certainly uh, not what the, the Bible teaches. And in fact, um, Adam and Eve in the Bible, they had a great dad, and they still got really messed up, uh, which is important uh, to, to remember. And so we don't talk about these things in such a way that Uh, If you do it, everything's just gonna work out great. But it's important because the scriptures do give us some rules and some things uh, that in family relationships, and I think there's a little something for everybody today, uh, no matter what age or stage of life uh, you're in. So let's start in the beginning, Genesis chapter two, uh, starting in verse 20. It's always important 
to begin in the beginning, the world before the world. It says this, but for Adam, no suitable, the first man, this is how the scriptures start, for Adam, the first man, no suitable helper uh, was found. No suitable helper was found. Now, we often read that, uh, this idea of a helper, as if the woman's gonna come along for the purpose of just fetching the man things. Um, she's just gonna kinda iron the outfit while he goes and names the animals. This is kinda her job. Uh, but that's not the picture here. The word helper, it's actually somewhat of a poor translation of the word. Uh, in, in Hebrew, the, the language that the scripture was written in, uh, it, it actually it means it's this little Hebrew word, azer, azer. Let's just try saying that together, azer. Well done, azer. Uh, and it, a better translation of the word is the word rescuer. <laughs> Think about it. Uh, it's the same word that David uses when he's on the run from Saul in the caves and he's crying out to God, God, would you be my Azair? Would you be my rescuer? It's deeper than just this uh, helper. It's, it, it has a deeper sort of sense to it. Uh, so essentially that if the woman, if the female does not enter into the story, uh, something's gonna go wrong in the account and uh, that, that she's needed to really uh, be this image bearer of God and for the world to look and to be the way that it's supposed to be. You keep going in the story. Verse 21, Genesis chapter two. So the Lord God, and if you don't have a Bible, we place these on the screen. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Verse 22, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And so he makes the female from the rib of the man. Uh, he's already made the man. Uh, he makes the man earlier in the story from the dirt. In fact, the name Adam, it literally just means uh, from the dirt. Uh, which means, ladies, if you've ever called your husband a dirtball, it's a profound theological observation. Uh, <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, and he makes the female, uh, and so here they are. And there's a marriage ceremony that takes place. There's a wedding, uh, kind of an awkward marriage proposal, but uh, a marriage proposal nonetheless. Verse 23, it says, the man said, uh, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Uh, it sounds so barbaric. It sounds like if the Bible is a movie, Arnold Schwarzenegger is gonna play the lead. Uh, <laughs> Bone of my bone, uh, eat, drink, man, woman. And there's this barbaric nature to it. Uh, but it's actually uh, beautiful. It's actually this ancient poem. Uh, and bone in the Hebrew language is a symbol of strength. And flesh in the Hebrew language is a symbol of weakness. And so what he's essentially saying is where I'm weak, she's strong. And where I'm strong, she's weak. It's almost as if we just fit perfectly uh, together. Uh, this is a beautiful picture. Uh, we both need each other. Uh, this marriage, it's a beautiful kind of friendship. Uh, the first marriage, this is exactly, things are exactly as God wants them to be. This is a beautiful, uh, is there a better picture of friendship than someone being strong for you uh, while you're weak? Uh, this is the picture that's given. Not just, uh, there's not just harmony between God and man, there's harmony between the male and the female, between 
uh, this married couple. Uh, things are exactly as God wants them to be. Uh, if you've been hanging around church for a while, you know how, you know how the story goes. Uh, in the next scene, uh, there's uh, what's called the fall. Uh, God says, don't eat from this one tree, and they do, and everything begins to fall apart. Uh, rebellion enters into the story, and everything about this world that we hate and can't stand, death, cancer, uh, foreclosure, divorce, it all rushes in in this moment. And immediately there becomes friction between the man and the woman. Uh, there's no longer this beautiful uh, friendship. God comes down and says, uh, what happened here? And there's this he did it, she did it. Uh, they immediately start arguing and nobody had to teach them how to do this. Uh, it was just there. And then God puts a curse uh, on the male and the female, the man and the woman, and it says this in Genesis chapter three, verse 16, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe with painful labor. And the Hebrew word for labor there is epidural. You <laughs> will give birth to children. Your desire, and this is the interesting phrase, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Uh, now, desire there, it's not uh, desire in a, in a sexual sense of the, the word. It's not uh, that kind of a desire. It's desire in the sense that uh, you will try to essentially uh, fix the man. Uh, I'm going to choose my words very carefully here. <laughs> um, she will tr you will have this desire to fix. To, uh, and on the other side of the coin, it says uh, he is going to rule it over you. And this is uh, the image here is in the same way that a king would rule over the subjects. And so essentially what God said, there's gonna be a power struggle. There's going to be this friction. It's no longer going to be this beautiful friendship that it was designed and intended uh, to be. You're, it's going to be a struggle. Uh, this power struggle is gonna go in motion. And it says this in the very next scene, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil or work, you will eat from it all the days of your life. And so essentially, there's going to be this power struggle. Uh, there's going to be this friction, and the man's going to say, forget this, I'm going to work. Uh, my how we've evolved. Uh, I would argue this curse is still in full swing and in motion in our world today. Uh, this power struggle, uh, this constant sort of friction. You will hear this uh, being played out in divorce courtrooms all across the world. This power struggle, this friction, and it's all rooted back in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, some of us, you experienced this curse on your way to church today, uh, just in the forms of backseat driving or whatever it was. Uh, this is just constantly in, in coffee shop. You, you hear this being played at this tension, this friction uh, again and again. In our house, uh, with my wife and I, uh, this curse plays itself out in the sense that um, I'm the spender and my wife is the saver. And so there's this constant sort of tension over, over finances or money. Uh, I'm sure we're the only ones. But there's this constant, um, so recently, not that long ago, I was watching this uh, consumer electronics show and they were debuting this new television. Uh, it was a bendable plasma TV. And I immediately, I'd never seen this before, but I immediately needed one. And so I began telling them, we, we have to get one of these. I mean, you know, this is unbelievable technology. And my wife uh, begins asking all the logical, frugal kind of questions. Uh, why do we need this? Uh, <laughs> 
And then she asked the question that kind of shut down the argument. She goes, uh, what's wrong with the TV that we have? <laughs> I was thinking, it does not bend, you know? Like, <laughs> like what kind of question is that? Uh, so there's this friction, there's this tension. It's just constantly there. It's not what God intended, but it's there uh, for husbands and for wives. The next scene in the story, Genesis chapter 4, uh, Adam and Eve, they have a couple kids, uh, Cain and Abel. One of these kids kills the other kid. Uh, immediately, the family, if the Bible is a movie in, in the scriptures, uh, the family is the first thing to go off the rails, or one of the first things to go off the rails. Uh, it is not coincidence that it's one of the first things that God creates is the family. And yet it's the first place, it's one of the first places that the enemy, Satan, is going to attack and begin to cause friction and tension. Uh, it's just there. By the time that Solomon, uh, the great wisdom writer in the book of Proverbs, is going to pick up his pen uh, many, 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 many years later, uh, this curse is in motion to the extent uh, that marriage is not for friendship, it's not for love at all, it's not for romance. In this world, the ancient Hebrew world 3,000 years ago, uh, marriage is just a social contract essentially that exists where people would get married purely for uh, social status, that was it. That essentially uh, you would get married because if you became a part of this family, it would give you or your tribe or your family a leg up in the caste system. That's why people uh, got married in this world. And Solomon is going to give some rules or he's going to make some assumptions about marriage and about family uh, that are just unbelievably revolutionary and radical in this world 3,000 years ago. They're unbelievably radical and revolutionary for us uh, as well. So if you have a Bible, Proverbs chapter two, starting in verse 17, he says this. He's talking about a female, but the same would apply uh, for a male here. He says, she uh, that leaves, this female, has left the companion. Some translations uh, read uh, the partner of her youth. She has left the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, she's forsaken, she's walked away from the companion uh, of her youth and forsaken the covenant uh, of her God. He's talking about this destructive path uh, that this married female, uh, this married woman is on. And uh, the same would be true for the man that, that, that they've forsaken. Now there's some assumptions deep here in the words of Solomon. And these are unbelievably radical, revolutionary assumptions for this world and even for our world. Uh, but he's essentially saying that marriage is this companionship. It's, uh, uh, and, and companionship's kind of a goofy word. We don't you know, talk about our companions or friends that way. Uh, but the, the real meaning of this would be uh, best friends. Uh, she's walked away from the best friend of her youth, of, of the, this husband of her. She's, she's forsaken him. Uh, this, this best friend. And so he's making some assumptions that marriage uh, is about friendship. Uh, he's essentially saying that, that it's this picture. Uh, he's returning to Genesis 2, that uh, someone who's strong for you when you're weak, this is the most beautiful image of friendship, that uh, this is what marriage is. You can imagine how radical and revolutionary this is, to assume that marriage is a friendship in a world uh, where it's not even for romance, it's just about social contracts or gaining a leg up in a caste system. And he's saying, no, this is, this is about friendship. Marriage is supposed to be about a beautiful kind of friendship. 
it's radical in our world where people just get married for personal uh, fulfillment to assume that it's actually about something deeper and more than that. Uh, the next thing he says, she's forsaken the covenant of her youth. Uh, the covenant, now covenant doesn't make a lot of sense in our world. We don't talk about covenants um, anymore, but a covenant, uh, it's, it's a binding arrangement, usually with a spiritual implication between two people. Uh, this covenant, she's walked away. Now, deep in this, he's making some assumptions about marriage that fly in the face of assumptions that we have in our culture and in our world in 2015 uh, about love and marriage. He, he's, he's making some just assumptions about what marriage is and about what love is that just uh, are so radical even in our world. Because in our world, uh, there's a lot of dominant myths, but two in particular about marriage or about love as well. Uh, the first is this myth that exists in our culture about love or about marriage is that marriage is just a sheet of paper. This is an unbelievable, strong, powerful myth. You hear this uh, with single adults that uh, are living together and say, why in the world will we ever need to get married? After all, marriage is just a sheet of paper. Uh, with couples that hit a rough patch and they say, well, we're just gonna hit the eject button uh, because after all, the only thing that really binds us uh, is just a sheet of paper. What's the big deal? And Solomon is, is pushing against that belief that exists in at the very fabric and grain of our culture because in our culture, uh, we believe marriage is not a covenant relationship, but we treat it like a consumer relationship. And there's a big difference between those two. We treat it like a consumer relationship, then in the same way you'd buy a car or you buy a, a TV and you say, well, does it meet my needs? Do I like it? I guess if I get, if I get tired of it, I can just kind of trade it in for a younger model. Uh, that's how we treat marriage uh, in our culture and in our world. And it's not that in the scriptures, it's a covenant arrangement. And covenants don't make a lot of sense in our world. Uh, in fact, the only covenant relationship that's really left in our world anymore is a parent's relationship to a child. It's the only relationship left uh, that if someone walks away, if a parent abandons it, there's you know, some scorn attached to abandoning that relationship. But covenants are all throughout the scriptures. In fact, when you became a Christian or if you decide to become a Christian, God enters into a covenant with you where he says, regardless of what you do, I'm not going anywhere. This is the good news of the Christian faith and of the, of the Christian message. Uh, but we don't treat marriage this way as a covenant anymore. This is why when you get married, uh, it's such a big deal. It's why the most expensive dress you own for a lot, uh, for a lot of ladies, uh, it's why the most expensive dress you own, it sits in a closet and you haven't worn it in years uh, because marriage is a big deal. It's why, you, you know, guys, you're in that funny looking suit, invited all your friends and you know, paid all that money because in our culture, it's often a hollow ceremony, but marriage is not a declaration of present love. Marriage is a declaration of future love. Uh, no matter what, till death do us part, uh, this is a covenant. Uh, there's a second very dominant myth that Solomon's pushing against that exists in our culture. Uh, and if you're in high school or middle school or you know, single adult, uh, this is a dominant myth when it comes to dating relationships. And here's the myth. It's that love is just a feeling. It's powerful in romantic relationships. It's powerful in marriages. That love is just a feeling. That in other words, it's uh, Cupid did it. We can't explain it. Uh, the forces of nature brought us together. It just... You know, Cupid fired the arrow and here we are. And it's such a myth, and here's the reason why. Because if love is just a feeling, then no marriage in this room is safe. If love is just a feeling, then no marriage in this room is safe. Because you could sit down on a plane tomorrow next to somebody and begin to have a conversation, begin to have these feelings, and uh, it wouldn't matter if she's married or if you're married or he's married, there would just be this sense, who are we to deny the forces of nature, the power of, 
of romance, the power of this feeling that's drawing us together. And a marriage could end just like that if love is just a feeling. It's not just a feeling. In the Bible, it's never described as a feeling. It certainly has emotion that's accompanied with it or attached to it. But in the Bible, love is described as an action. And Solomon's describing it as a friendship, a beautiful kind of friendship that exists, that it, that's deeper than just uh, we tolerate each other. It's this beautiful kind of friendship. Uh, if you're here in your marriage, uh, this is the place. This is, as I talk about this, there's this uh, anxiety or this tension because you, you know, as, as for many of us, uh, your marriage is just struggling. Uh, every single week here at this church on Tuesday nights, there's this amazing ministry called Reengage. Uh, and I want to put the website up in case uh, as we talk about this, you go, well, I wish I knew what to do. Uh, this is a great place to go. You can stop by the Connection Center uh, and ask questions about this as well. But it's just this beautiful place where couples walk in uh, and they say, well, maybe we've been tolerating, tolerating each other. Uh, we've been barely surviving. And every single week, and unbelievable stories of marriages that begin to be healed and put back together. Uh, Solomon is giving us a new rule for marriage. He's given us something to hang on the fridge, and here's what it is. It's that a marriage needs a covenant for safety. It needs a covenant for safety. In other words, we're not walking away. When we get angry, when we get mad, nobody's pulling the divorce card and putting it on the table. That's going away. We're gonna stick that in the fire. A marriage needs a covenant for safety, and it needs a friendship in order to flourish. That in other words, it's not just we tolerate each other for the sake of the kids. Uh, we're gonna work on a deep abiding friendship where I'm strong and she's weak, where she's, you know, we're gonna work on this kind of a beautiful friendship. Uh, he gives us a new rule for marriage, a new family rule. Uh, now sometimes uh, moms and dads decide to have kids. Uh, there's a 100% chance that your parents decided to do this. And when they do, uh, Solomon says uh, there's a lot of instruction in here for what parents are supposed to do in terms of raising uh, children. And we could talk all day about what the uh, goal of parents are. And uh, Amazon, Barnes and Noble have lots and lots of books talking about what your job is as a parent. For Solomon, uh, the beautiful wisdom of Solomon, he, he essentially says the goal of being a parent is to make your kids wise. Uh, to raise kids up that are skilled in the art of living. And he talks about two primary ways to do that again and again in the scriptures. And uh, the first place he mentions them is in Proverbs chapter 3. Starting in verse 11, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11. <clears throat> he says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke, because the Lord disciplines those that he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Now, this is the only place uh, in the book of Proverbs where God is described as a father. And what he's essentially saying is uh, that God does not discipline you or me, uh, you know, in spite of the fact that he delights in you or loves you. But actually, it's the opposite. These are not mutually exclusive for God, discipline and delight. But because he delights in you as his child, uh, because of that, uh, he finds it necessary to discipline you. And he's saying essentially, in the same way, a good parent uh, should discipline their kids and they should also delight in their kids. 
uh, discipline and delight. He returns to these themes over and over again. Proverbs chapter 23, he talks about delighting in your children. Uh, all throughout the scriptures, he talk, or all throughout Proverbs, he talks about the need for discipline because foolishness uh, is bound up in the heart of a child. They will naturally veer towards destruction. Uh, now, most conservative, uh, traditional families, uh, for many of us, you were raised this way, will say that the goal of being a parent is discipline and control, discipline and control. Some of us, you have stories of this. So your dad, it was about discipline and control. Our more progressive or modern society, if you're under 40, this is probably true for you, uh, you're raised in homes where uh, we say the goal of being a parent is to build up self-esteem in a child. Uh, and you do this through delighting in a kid, delighting, making sure they understand uh, that you delight in them. Uh, for Solomon, he says, it's actually much more nuanced than that. And it's actually both. That we need discipline and we need to delight in our kids. That either one of these taken to an extreme uh, has the potential to derail uh, the project of making your child wise. Uh, and and like, a, like any parent, like me and, and for many of us, uh, you will naturally want to veer towards one of these or towards the other. But he says discipline and delight, that, that we hold this tension as parents to discipline our kids and to delight in our kids. Either one of these taken to an extreme. If you only discipline your kids and you never delight in them, uh, if, if some of us have stories of this, uh, the second the cage door opens and you're free, uh, you will resent or they will resent the things that you gave them to do and just rebel and do whatever they want. Some of us, this time of our life was called college, uh, that time where finally you were not underneath that control. If you only delight in your kids and you never discipline them, uh, you're, you're not doing them any favors. Your, your kids don't need another tall friend. Uh, they need someone there to set them on a particular kind of path with instruction and with discipline. Now, discipline and delight are both very broad terms, and this is the brilliance of the scriptures. Uh, they're both very broad because there's a wide range of kids, isn't there? And so how you discipline and how you delight at various ages and stages, uh, that's gonna require some wisdom on our part, but these are sort of broad terms that in terms of discipline and delight. My, my one-year-old son, uh, Hayden, I delight in him uh, by playing hours and hours of peekaboo. Uh, I have a feeling, a sneaking suspicion, one day that will change. Uh, they're, they're just, how you delight at various ages and stages, it changes. Uh, how you discipline a kid, there's not a one-size-fits-all approach, is there? Uh, there's not this one. Certain kids, uh, you can stop them in their tracks just by glaring at them the wrong way. Other kids, you glare at them the wrong way, they're gonna take that as a challenge. Uh, it's just, so there's not how you, how you do that, discipline and delight. And so Solomon says, hey, there's a new family rule, and here's the new family rule. Uh, you can put it on the fridge. We delight in our kids, but not at the expense of discipline. We discipline our kids, but it's not at the expense of delight. Both of these are needed in order uh, to help in any way we can as parents to make a kid wise. Uh, there's another kind of relationship that he talks about uh, again and again, and it's for a child at any age or stage of life and their relationship to their parents. And he says this in the book of Proverbs, chapter 23, verse 22. And he gives some new rules. He says, uh, in other words, if you're a child, if your parents are still breathing, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. 
if your mom likes to hang verses around the house uh, in cross stitch, I don't recommend giving this verse to her as a gift. Uh, now that you're old, here you go. Um, but there's a beautiful wisdom that do not despise. Uh, it's talking about it here in the negative, but all throughout the scriptures, uh, the theme, essentially Solomon's saying uh, the opposite of despite, it would be honoring. This is all throughout the scriptures. That as, that as children, if your parents are still breathing, uh, no matter what age you are, you have this responsibility to honor uh, your parents. And this is, again, it's the wisdom of the scriptures. It doesn't say you have to obey your parents, although at certain stages of life, that's what you're supposed to do. At certain stages of life, if you don't obey your parents, the results could be uh, disastrous. But if you're 40 and you're still obeying your parents, the results could be equally disastrous. Uh, uh, there's a wisdom to this, honor. Uh, it doesn't say you have to like your parents, uh, but it says honor your parents. If you're 15, if you're 12, uh, obeying them is probably the path that you need to walk down. But whatever age of stage, honor uh, your father and your mother, this is a, a theme all throughout the scriptures. He says this in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 20. He says, if someone curses their father or mother, their lamp will be snuffed out in pitch darkness. If someone curses their father or mother, we all know adults uh, that grow up and they look back on their childhood and things in their life haven't gone the way they planned and they look back and they blame their mom and dad and maybe uh, there were some things there that their parents should have done differently. Uh, but eventually, uh, you're just 40. Uh, eventually, you have to, to unhitch from that. Eventually, you have to forgive and look back on that. Because if you don't, you never really grow up and your parents still have control over you. If you constantly look back and blame and you haven't forgiven things that they've done, because eventually, uh, this is true, uh, oftentimes it happens when you graduate high school or it happens uh, early in adult life where you wake up and you realize you were not raised by the gods. Uh, you were raised by broken people and they made mistakes. And if you don't forgive that, uh, if you grow up and you say, well, I'm never going to tr you know, handle money that way. I'm never gonna budget because my mom was so frugal and it drove us crazy, so I'm never going to do that because uh, that's what she did. She still owns you. Uh, she still has this control. You say, well, I'm never going to church because my mom always made us go and I hated it. Well, uh, she still owns you. And eventually you have to forgive and unhitch and begin to forgive. And so Solomon's giving us some new rules here. Uh, even as adults, if our parents are still breathing, there's a new family rule. Put it on the fridge. Uh, you honor no matter what age your parents are or what age you are. And you forgive no matter what behavior. Uh, you release them from that so that you can begin to grow up. And they're not reaching into your future still having control. Honor and forgive. Solomon says this is a good, beautiful family rule. Honor and forgive. Uh, if the family and the scriptures is the very first place that gets hit, when you became a Christian or when you become a Christian, shouldn't the family be the very first place that you begin to try to heal? In your decision, as we've been talking about for the last 10 weeks, to be wise, shouldn't, this be the very, shouldn't these be the very first relationships that we begin to turn our attention to if it's our goal to be wise, if it's our goal uh, to begin to have our character and attitude uh, changed and transformed, shouldn't these be the very first relationships that we look to? Because Solomon's essentially saying, you cannot be wise, I cannot be wise, and ignore these relationships. 
so the question is, which of these relationships do you currently have in your life? Uh, do you have uh, a marriage? Do you have kids? Do you have parents that are still breathing? Uh, and what does it look like for you to begin to put these rules into practice and to be wise? And the difficult part is doing it when the other person isn't doing their part, isn't it? The difficult part is saying, I'm gonna honor this covenant, even though uh, she doesn't seem to, I, I'm gonna do my part to honor my father and mother, even though they never delighted in me and did what I wanted them to do. The difficult part, but God gets so much credit or glory when we decide, I'm gonna do my part of this because my desire and my goal uh, is to be wise. How much differently could your house look if just you decided, even if nobody else decided, I'm gonna be wise when it comes to these relationships. Let's pray together. God, I thank you uh, for the gift of family. It doesn't feel that way often, uh, but it is. And God, I, I just pray over marriages that are here today. I pray that somebody would decide to go to re-engage, uh, that they'd have the courage maybe to walk in the Connection Center and say, that's us, we're on the ropes. And that you could begin to heal uh, what's, what's broken, God. God, I pray for uh, maybe a parent that's here and their son or daughter, it just seems like everything they do, it just, it just goes wrong or they don't listen. And I just pray for healing. I pray the house, I pray the car ride home. It wouldn't be that tension that somehow the, the pressure valve would be released and they could begin to communicate. God, I pray that our homes all across this city, that this church will be a place where uh, we take family really, really serious in these relationships, and we honor, we forgive, we delight, we discipline, uh, we, we honor the covenant, we're friends with our spouse. God, I pray this would be a place where that happens. Give us the courage and wisdom to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.